Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, world. Welcome to the 325th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice American Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from our studios on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. I hope all of our listeners uh, throughout the world and the 1.73 million readers of my 30-second Read Daily Business Newsletter preparing for a fantastic 2018. I think this is going to be an absolutely fantastic year commercially. Business is going to go through the roof. However, I think you should make the most of it this year because I think there will be three or four interest rate increases and uh, the election, of course, will keep money flowing from the government, but then immediately after the election, I think it'll tighten up and next year could be a bit tough. There could be a, not a recession, but certainly a downturn and the stock market could go down 25% or so. But that's 2019. Let's think about what we can do to make money in 2018. Went out to a great bar last night, a uh, tiny little bar, and uh, Monday nights have a jam session at 10 o'clock. The bar in Los Angeles is called the Red Door, and it's literally a red door in an alley. And uh, when you go in, it's this small, quaint, speakeasy-type place. And last night... um, Freddie Ravel and uh, Scotty Page, Shalita Burke were all playing there in a jam session. It was fantastic. And we didn't get home till after two, which for an old guy like me, that's that's about the latest I've been up for a long time. (laughs) But it was great. You know, Patagonia, Starbucks, Apple, Google, Facebook, Uber, Airbnb, Alibaba, Instagram, Netflix, Naturia Cosmeticos, Cisco, Whole Foods, Tesla, Disney. What have they all got in common? I'll tell you what they've got. They've all used innovation to disrupt their industry. Now, many organizations have continuous improvement where, you know, they do deliberately try to improve all their systems and processes every day. However, it's very rare that an innovation is really disruptive. And by disruptive, I mean it changes how we think, behave, or how we actually do business. Rarely do organizations create something absolutely, totally new, more efficient, or something that redefines the industry by creating opportunities, creating a new market, or a value network. The reality is that sustained business growth and wealth comes from building a culture of innovation, essentially creating creating a new business ecosystem. And to do this, you know, every employee in every department have got to work cooperatively and competitively to develop and support new products that will satisfy customers and create the next round of innovation in exciting and new markets. You look for the pain spots. What are the pain spots in my industry? And if you can get rid of those pain spots, you'll be very innovative. Now, here are a few ideas that can help you become that sort of innovative organization. Firstly, you need to define the mission. An innovative culture comes from leaders and people who who dare to dream, who dare to be an Elon Musk and think about something that seems outrageously ridiculous. Leaders reframe the role of employees. They encourage them to see themselves as part of the organisation that helps families improve their quality of life or helps commerce or helps business grow, that creates jobs or that moves the country's economy forward. It's a big vision. 
of the organisation's grand purpose or why it actually exists. You think about a couple of these companies, like IKEA creates better everyday life for the people they serve, and they do it pretty well. I mean, when it, when IKEA started, it was a totally new way of looking at providing furniture. Facebook gives people the power to share and to make the world more open and connected. They've certainly done that. But even though they're winding it back a little bit at the moment, it's still an amazing thing when you think of it. Think that just in just a few years, Facebook's got two billion people talking to each other. That's pretty amazing. And Starbucks, as you can see when you go into any of their stores, they inspire and nurture the human spirit. And they do it one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. The second thing is to engage employees and customers. You need to celebrate, highlight, reward employees that exemplify the mission and the vision. When people come up with great things, let the world know about it. Give them their moment of fame. Reward them. You know, value those employees that go the extra mile for customers. Because that's not only how you inspire employees. It's how you build employee engagement and also customers' engagement. You do it right, they can be engaged in your mission and your social responsibility and new product creation. Patagonia comes to mind. Thirdly, create the infrastructure. You need to create the infrastructure that fosters innovation. You know, more and more companies are allowing staff, employees, to spend 10 to 15% of their time at work just doing weird stuff, creating innovations that they think might pay off. When you think of people like Google with that massive workforce all spending 10 to 15% of their time trying to create new stuff, a hell of a lot of new innovative cost-saving and possibly company-changing ideas come from that. Create innovation awards for products that bring in income. Develop an uncomplicated process to, prevent, to present new ideas for approval. Celebrate successes. It's very, very important. Leaders must lead by example. I know we hear, we hear this all the time, but very few leaders do. Real leaders walk the talk every day and in every way. Great leaders talk to people. They mentor people. They coach people. Their leaders are positive and passionate motivators. They lead through integrity, transparency and ethical behaviour. True leaders do not accept mediocrity. They respect customers. They respect employees and shareholders. Great leaders inspire every day in every way. So go beyond advertising taglines and define the real value or benefit that you provide to people that you provide to your community, the environment, and the world. What's behind what you do? Make it inspiring. Are you going to leave your business and the world a lot better off than you found it? If you're not, what are you really doing here? You need to communicate extensively. Articulate a written formal case for change. Ensure that department leaders take ownership for completing aspects of the change plan. Don't forget any, any major change plan takes every person in the organisation buying into it. Explain who you are, your social responsibility and what you stand for and articulate that to your customers. 
measure your success. Most innovation effectiveness metrics are traditionally tied to return on investment, research and development. The number of approved and ongoing projects, the number of new project products launched, the amount spent on product and pro projects, number of patents filed, the percentage of employee unstructured time, R&D budget as a percentage of sales and things like that. Now, a better approach might be to broaden the focus by preparing three separate accounts. Let's call them people, planet and profit and evaluate your success on each of the merits. How are you doing on social responsibility, on environmental or ecological impact and on finance or economic value? These are the points that are key among truly innovative companies. Inspiring leadership that focuses on growth, the removal of barriers to innovation, leading by example, rallying of employees and customers through an articulated mission that expresses the soul of the company, the creation of commercial product, products that are taken very quickly to market and earn the very deep respect of customers, employees and stakeholders. And that's what we all should be inspiring, aspiring to. Now, it's interesting that um, Albert Einstein once said, and this is really, have a listen, think about this. Albert Einstein once said that if at first the idea is not absolutely absurd, there's no hope for it. So when you get into a think tank session, and I've done hundreds of them, no idea is a bad idea. And some ridiculous ideas at first come up. But pursue them through. Because it might be that really dumb-sounding idea that uh, turns out to be the next Tesla or really boring company. You never know. Now, during the week, we were reflecting about the extraordinary changes that have taken place over the last eight years of this show. Eight years ago, no self-driving cars, no Hyperloop. Airbnb and Uber were in their infancy. Cryptocurrency people had hardly ever heard of. So the changes over the last eight years have been quite extraordinary. Now, speaking of crypto, it took a major hit over Christmas, bounced back very quickly, took another major hit about two days ago, and um, a lot of people's portfolios have almost halved. I mean, it's been a big crunch. But after Christmas, it recovered very quickly and gained about 20% on its previous high. And I'm expecting it to rebound very quickly in the next day or two and create a new high. So we're looking, I think, for a terrific year for crypto in 2018. I'm not necessarily talking about Bitcoin, although I'm confident that if you get in now, particularly at about $11 or $12, you will double or triple your money in the next couple of months. So if you're not in cryptocurrency yet, I'm not saying take all your money out of whatever vehicle you, you have it in, but putting it in your IRA, earning 6% or whatever it is, um, it's not as good as earning 100% on your money in a month or two. I've actually been – my wife looks after our um, – crypto and uh, she's brilliant at it. I mean, she's done remarkable things for our portfolio. So I've been talking with the idea of having her on the show. And so if I can actually talk her into it, which I'm not sure that I can, <laughs> you can tell who's the boss in our family. Um, but <laughs> I, um, I'd love to get her on. She would... Um, I think she'd add a, a lot to the conversation. I'll let you know how I go. Do you get my daily... <laughs> my, pa my panel operator's a bloody genius. 
Um, he really produces this show. He does a brilliant job with it. <laughs> and that was quite funny. Um, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got over 1.7 million daily subscribers, which is a hell of a lot. It takes just 30 seconds, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, and blockchain. It's free, and its information's invaluable. And uh, we get a tremendous response from companies around the world. A lot of them, uh, when a, a particular newsletter is of interest to their company and to their staff, they send it around to um, all their senior staff as an education tool. And I really appreciate that. And it helps spread the word and it keeps people educated, which is all good. After the break, I'm going to talk about six steps that will help you develop a well-structured plan that consequently can lead to the success of your change program. A lot of companies sit and look at, the, look at their business and say, geez, we're still doing the same stuff we've been doing forever and we really need to change it, uh, but don't know how to go about it. And, you know, you've got to really control it, plan it, and management, manage it, and if you don't, it won't happen. So we'll talk about that after the break. And change is hard. There's an old saying. If you really want to make enemies, try to change something. Most people like the status quo. They don't like to be disrupted. Now, my guest today, David Spark, is a veteran tech journalist and the founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice and face of many content marketing campaigns for a large number of Fortune 1000 business-to-business tech companies. So if you're looking at content marketing, which most people should be doing, David Spark's your guy. David blogs regularly on the Spark Minute and is a regular contributor for Forbes. You can listen to his weekly tech and media podcast, Tear Down Show, and subscribe to his YouTube series, Content Marketing Tips. He's a noted speaker. He's an entertainer. He's a moderator at tech and marketing events, and he also offers training for moderating. So if you need a bit of help, David's your guy. So I'll be back with my friend David Spark after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show from Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, this is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and also some of the most successful. We talk about what it is they do what challenges they've faced, how they've overcome those challenges. Underneath it all, we try to find out what it is that actually makes them tick. 
You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. The last figures I saw said that 95% of all businesses started today fail. So we all need to be doing what the 5% that succeed are doing. So that's why it's so important, as I stress every week, for you to surround yourself with mentors, not friends that'll say, yes, you're terrific, but people who have been there, done that, been successful, and can give you good practical advice. So get yourself mentors. And the other important thing is to listen to programs like this where um, people who are successful talk about why they're successful and what made them successful. Now, David Spark is a veteran tech journalist and founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice and face of many content marketing campaigns for a number of Fortune 1000 B2B tech companies. And in the last 20 years, David and his articles appeared in just about everything. Um... 40-odd media outlets, E-Week, Wired News, PC World, ABC Radio, and on and on it goes. He's author of the book, Three Feet from Seven Figures, one-on-one engagement techniques to qualify more leads at trade trade shows. Now, in addition to traditional media, David spent 10 years working in advertising at various agencies, the last being Publicist Dialogue, where he launched the company's new media division. Today, David blogs regularly on the Spark Minute and is a regular contributor to Forbes. You can listen to his weekly tech and media podcast, Teardown Show, and subscribe to his YouTube series, Content Marketing Tips. David's a noted speaker, an entertainer, and a moderator at tech and marketing events. He also offers training for moderating. Hi, David. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, that was a fabulous introduction. Oh, Thank geez, I'm hot. How much, how much training do I need for moderating? Well, we don't know. We're, moderating involves more than two people talking together. Okay. But moderating <laughs> that uh, is involved in the process of having a panel of four or five people speaking. Right. Here's, here's my number one bugaboo regarding moderating. And we've all seen this, where you have like a 40-minute session, yep. and the panelist goes, well, let's just give a few minutes to each panelist to introduce themselves. 15 minutes later, now the panel starts. Incredibly irritating. Yes. Everyone's got a program. Nobody needs introductions. Just go. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Now, you spent 12 or more years working as a tour- touring stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and a comedy writer. Why did you give up working as a stand-up comedian for tech? Surely stand-up comedians, heaps and heaps of fun, and tech, maybe not so much. Well, there's two big reasons. One is I was pulling down, and get ready for this, Bob, pulling down a pretty sizable four-figure salary at the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I know what – I was an entertainer for 20 years. I know what it's like. (laughs) And then the other other issue is – so if you were an entertainer, you will – you commiserate with this is for every job that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot of crap that kind of goes along with it. That's not a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was tired of that. And actually, you know, I'm able to, in the work that I do now, take everything that I learned in, um, uh, in comedy and I apply it to the work that I do now. So it is not a lost skill by any stretch. Yeah, no, that's true. I um, I was a performer for about, I don't know, 25 years or so. And now, um, as you probably know, I do a lot of speaking around the planet. And I just regard it as rock and roll without the music. You know, I go out there and do the, almost the same stuff that I used to do, except I talk it instead of sing it. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with anyone who can play music proficiently because I'm somebody who made attempts at yeah. – uh, being a musician with piano and clarinet and yeah. failed miserably. And to me, when I watch a, a musician, it's like the equivalent of watching a magician. I have, just have no clue how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> now, I grew up in an era where we used to talk a lot about um, 
NLP and we used to say, uh, you know, 35 to 40% of the population is visual, 45 plus percent is auditory, the rest are kinesthetic. So if you, um, you know, not even, not that long ago, probably 15 years ago, if you were circulating DVDs or videos or whatever they were in, then, I can't remember, um, you would only give videos to people who were visual because they're the only people who are going to watch it. Yet now there seems to be, well, there is, not seems to be, there is this enormous trend towards video. And yet the percentage of people who are visual hasn't changed. So why has video become such a huge thing now, irrespective of what the NLP characteristic is? Well, there's there's a bunch of rationales. The, the number one reason that there's a desire to create more video, it's just the tools to create video have become totally sort of leveled and equalized. Sure. There's no one that doesn't have the opportunity to have video tools to them. There was a time there was a major cost barrier for yeah. that to happen, but that is, that's completely evaporated. And I truly believe that Editing video is now becoming a core competency, like to the equivalent of, you know, people of, you know, your my generation who know how to use, you know, who learned on like Excel and Lotus Notes. That's sure. not something you, uh, not Lotus Notes, Lotus 1, 2, 3. Mm. That's not something that you uh, were originally trained on, but, but just because it was a skill that we all had to kind of learn. Mm. Now, even if you're not an accountant, we all kind of learned how to use a, a spreadsheet, a, a digital spreadsheet. Yeah. And I'm feeling that teens to 20-somethings and 30-somethings are all learning the very basics of video editing. And so now that everybody has even a rudimentary skill in it, uh, there's more desire to produce video. And like with anything, it's easy to produce garbage and it's hard to make it good. Yeah. So what? why is video so much more effective now with auditory and kinesthetic people. This is something that really interests me. It seems to be much more effective now than it used to be. Is that because it's shorter, it's tighter, the cuts are quicker, it's more dramatic? What What's the key to that? The key, I believe, that what makes video successful is triggering emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion, which can be done in audio and can be done in text, it's not easy in any format. But it really is most compelling and can be most compelling and, and easiest to go to, even though it's hard to do, within video. And if you can make someone laugh, if you can make someone cry or be angry even, these are all uh, emotions that trigger people to share content. We, I, I strongly believe that... Um, and, and, I, and I, I, I will uh, quote uh, Jim Lauderback, who is now the CEO of VidCon, sure. yep. and he says, the number one thing that gets people to share video online is triggering emotions. And, and a strong emotion, not a passive emotion, but a very yep. strong emotion. Yep. And that's what we, we're essentially going for, is trying to do that, which, you, you know, the same video, the content in text, you can do a lot more with it. Um, and you can also, because you have visuals, you can actually deliver more information in a shorter span of time. Sure, sure. Uh, for those listening that have a business, um, it's important to realize that uh, all decisions are initially made emotionally. Uh, it doesn't matter what the decision is, it's made emotionally and then you justify it rationally to make to make the final decision. But if you can get people in, initially say, yeah, I love that, then you're more likely to get the sale. So that's that's what we're talking about with the emotion. Is so is the primary objective to get your message across in the video or to trigger a viral explosion of it, or is it both? Well I would I would argue that it's both, but you know it's always the goal of the video. So so much of what we do with uh, our B2B video stuff is to approach a really specific audience that is interested in a very specific technology. So I'm not shooting for the world, but I'm shooting for the people who actually care about this content. And I, here's the quick story I tell about sort of 
how compelling very specific information is. Um, I just purchased, or actually a year ago, I purchased a new uh, camera, a Sony A7S, which I loved. In the process of um, creating or deciding to buy that camera, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube of people giving recommendations to that camera and another camera. And then, you know, once I decided on the camera, I found a place to buy it and, and I purchased it. Right. But then once I purchased the camera, there was a period of a week that went by before I received the camera. And so I just went on YouTube to train myself how to use this camera. And there were tons and tons of videos on how to use this camera. So when this absurdly complicated piece of technology arrived, I knew how to use it out of the box, which right. is unusual. That's really unusual to purchase a product, haven't received it, and yet be proficient in it to a level, because I hadn't touched it yet, yeah. but proficient on the menus and what I can change to that level. In addition, if I had a specific problem, for example, there's an, um, a face recognition feature in this camera. I would do a search on face recognition feature, uh, Sony A7S, a dozen videos showing me just how to do that. Right. That's what amazes me. And by the way, it's not like those videos had a few hundred views. They had thousands of views each. Yes. So there is an extraordinary demand for very specific information out there. So, what are tech companies? What are tech companies um, trying to do with video? Is it essentially to sell product? Is it to create brand awareness, or well, not brand aware, brand equity, or is it to um, what's the principal purpose? Well, what they're trying to do is yes, is to try to create some kind of brand equity to try to. Um, sell a specific product idea, usually sell the concept of the company, and also get some testimonials. So the, the, the two most common types of videos that we see out there are um, basic intro videos. This is company XYZ, and it's usually a, a, a series of stock footage with maybe some animation layered on top. And then customer testimonials of people in a studio just talking about what it's like to work with company XYZ. And they're extraordinarily dry. And the problem is companies just feel that's what we're supposed to do. And one of the things that we're trying to break our clients out of is get away from the thing that you think you're supposed to do and go more towards what do you think the audience wants. Yeah. And because that's where you're going to get consumption and care. The only thing that matters is the customer. So what um – with all that clutter out there, everybody's out there creating videos. How do you cut through? What is it that allows you to cut through from the 10,000 other videos that are being put up every minute? Well, discoverability is very, very difficult, and I can't fully answer that. But I will tell you, we have because of the volume that's out there, there was a, there was a time you could just create good content and it would, quote, get discovered. Yep. But unfortunately, that's not enough anymore, and you do have to pay for a level of distribution. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, that level, that payment is not that expensive through something like a Facebook or uh, YouTube. You can actually get reasonable distribution to a very targeted audience through that. I would also say that timing is critical as well, that if you are creating content that's specific around an event or a news story, that you get it out quickly. Um, that will help in terms of distribution. Um, but I would also say the thing that does extraordinarily well is who is in your content. Is this person some kind of a celebrity to your industry that people care about? Or are you releasing a product announcement or solving a problem that is of great uh, desperate interest? Timing is also very key, like I mentioned, is putting this all together. And we do, a, you know, depending on what the need is, we do a mix of those different things. So you're saying that um, to gain maximum effect, you really need to have a recognisable face, whether irrespective of what sort of a celebrity is, but you need a recognisable face and you also need to spend um, money to do it. And if that's true, what sort of a level of investment are you looking at? Well, getting a recognisable face architects a certain level of lift. So especially if you're getting a big celebrity, you can just pretty much guarantee 
if big celebrity is in this and that celebrity name gets enough search, they will find it. But there are also big celebrities within industries that have recognition. And I always say, you know, you really should push for that in general. Yeah. In terms of money, it can go the gamut. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I was just answering a, a question, a client. They were saying, well, why is you go the last time you did a project for us, it was 10 videos and now it's only five videos, but it's more expensive. I don't understand why is it more expensive? And the reason is those were more complicated videos to produce, considerably more complicated. And we've done projects for clients where we've made a video for as little as $900 and a video for as much as 28000 And there are others that have gone into the six figures, no problem. Right. And so it's hard for me to answer that question because it's, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, how long is a piece of string type thing. Um so what sort, of invest, what sort of investment do you need on a Facebook or like? And what are the best um, vehicles? Look, it can go from zero up to a lot of money. I mean, honestly, you can turn your cell phone on, and if you are in the right place at the right time, and you turn the camera on and you're compelling, heck, it could cost you nothing. You could throw, you know, do a selfie video with no graphics. It's just you were at the right time, right place, had the right information, and it's literally nothing. On the other side, you could create this extraordinarily expensive video, costs $30,000, $40,000, that is custom designed, and the only way you're going to get people to see it is also spend money on advertising. Mm. So, again, I know you're kind of pushing for an answer there, but it's a tough, tough question to answer because it literally could be zero to thousands. Now, I was just um, thinking of if, if I'm listening to this program and I'm, I've got a you know reasonable company, I've got 30 employees or 50 or something and I think well you know video is not a bad way to go um, so but how much does it cost and then how much nope. have I got let to me, spend on Facebook to get it out there so let me answer it in also in a different way don't have unreasonable expectations because we're talking about a single video yep. no media empire was created on a single piece of content and this is something I run into with clients all the time that they have this Expectation. Well, if we spend X dollars because they spend that kind of money in advertising, then we get should get some type of return on investment. But doing any kind of content marketing is actually accumulative, unlike traditional marketing. That is not accumulative in the same way. Yeah. And so you build an audience like you would like this radio show for that matter. You didn't start all of a sudden with the audience that you have, but by building your brand, by interviewing well-known people or just people who have good thoughts and ideas and advice, you are building your reputation and your reputation is cumulative. This is the same thing with the video. If you just do one video, the only way you're going to get it seen is by spending a lot of money in advertising. But if you say spend, I don't know, $10,000 a month, I'm taking kind of a low number there, on some kind of video production type thing and you're consistent about it, um, and again, that's an incredibly low number, but you can do something with $10,000 a month. Um, then you're consistent. You can actually build an audience based on that. But again, it, it's all it's all of what you want to do and the effort and money you're looking to port, put uh, forward to it. What's the, what are the elements that make a corporate video um, memorable? I mean, something emotional. I will, I will tell you, it's all about real, honest reactions. And one of my number one complaints, and this is something I just wrote about for Forbes, and I have a video about it that demonstrates an example, is do not, and this is my one huge piece of advice, do not send the questions to an interview subject before the interview. And the number one reason for this is you, if you do that, you have ruined the the final video product and here's my argument video requires so much level of sensitivity yep and that not just the words that are being said but that moment between when the question is asked and when the person answers and as they answer is extraordinarily compelling can be and if they don't know what it is to see those honest human reactions is extraordinarily powerful. We do a lot of what is known as man on the street style videos where I just go up to a random person and ask them a question, usually at a trade show. 
uh, a simple question or a funny question or a thought-provoking question. And sometimes before I turn the camera on, the people say, can you tell me the question first? And I always say, I just want to see your reaction on camera. Because right. that moment, and it literally is purely a moment, is so powerful in video and something that can't be translated in print or even audio. Yeah, I can see that. So what's the big missed opportunity that tech companies are missing with video? Where do most companies go wrong with video? Well, one is per something I said before earlier, which is they think they need to do a certain format of video, like the case study. Right. Um, the other issue I have found, there's two big things that I have found that companies are getting wrong with video. One is everything, in it, and we're talking Fortune 100 companies I'm seeing this with. But I'm only, I've, by the way, I've been working on this report that's specifically uh, targeted at B2B tech companies yep. in particular. The companies that have billions in valuation, fortunes of money, and they have huge video crews, enormous video crews. For some bizarre reason, everything that they have spent millions on in terms of branding and web development, when it comes to, in presentation of that kind of presentation of that brand, it goes completely out the window when it comes to video. The biggest companies present their videos with inconsistent branding elements. When they post it up on the web, it does not have a consistent branding look. And it is not presented with any kind of consistent branding. That shocks me on belief. And I will tell you, that is 90 to 95% of all companies are doing this. Wow. It is that shockingly high. Wow. Stunning. The other issue, and this they just may not be aware of, is to do video right. And this is not even talking about the production, but more the presentation of it online, yeah. whether it's through YouTube or any other platform. There are... 50 to 100 variables to manage. And some of these variables are very small, like what do you title the video? And some are far more complex. But they don't realize that there are many, many strings to manage of this sort of marionette, if you will. And to do it successfully, you need to understand what those all are. And it's a, it's a lot of dotting I's and crossing T's. And when you don't do it, it looks sloppy. It speaks poor of your brand. And when you do it well, it seems like you barely did anything. Like any branding effort, it looks too easy. Right. But there's a lot of work that went behind it. So would you suggest that if you're a, a small to medium business that you um, gain the um, um, continuity, if you like, by having some form of presenter? I mean, even if it's a... a, a somebody within the company but as long as they're you know not hopeless does that add authenticity and continuity or is you just blowing your image well i know i always think it's a good idea to have someone from the company to speak be the voice of the company that's always i'm always speaking for my clients often but like for example with one client just asked me for a project and said can we instead of you can we put one of our people on camera and i'm like sure of course you know, that's not a problem at all. It's just sure. I did it, no one stepped up. Um, yeah, let's let's do it up. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, people need to be media trained. They need to know how to read teleprompter when when necessary. Uh, they need to be able to think quickly on their feet if they're interviewing people. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, and if they need to be trained, we'll you know, we'll train them. That's the other thing that has to happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's always a good idea. But the other issue is, and we're working on this ourselves, is you can't assume that when you start, it's going to be great. And here's, it, it, if I could sort of, in, in sort of uh, provide one huge piece of advice, and that is to make great videos, you have to create a lot of bad videos first. All right. I know nobody wants to hear this, but that is the process. And I'm literally going through this myself with a with a branded series that we're working on is that while I didn't think they were bad, they're not nearly as good as what we're doing now. Yeah. And you have to go through that process of figuring it out and publish some stuff that isn't wonderful and perfect until you get the great stuff. Um, you know, the same thing's true with podcasting for that matter. I mean, I'm sure when 
you first started out, those very first interviews weren't nearly as good as the most recent ones. Take some time to get your footing, if you will. Yeah. What's the ideal length of a corporate video? I know that's another how long's a piece of string, but um, in the main, is it better to be short and succinct, or what's the, what's the answer to that? So this is extremely common argument that I get from my clients saying, well, it has to be very, very short because people don't have any attention span. So the, the stats actually show that longer videos get higher recommendations uh, within YouTube itself. People end up watching a video often, no matter what the length is, somewhere between 40 to 60% of the time. So if it's a 90 second video, or it's a 10 minute video, you will find that the stats are somewhere between that sort of 40, 45% to 60% of viewing time of it. Um, honest to God, if it is compelling for 10 minutes, it will get a lot of views and it will get a long views. The other thing is, do you need them to watch the whole video to get the point across? Sometimes they don't need to watch it. And the other thing I would recommend is the, the huge advantage of YouTube is that it is the world's biggest platform for video and the second largest search engine. So you want your content there to be discoverable. But the yep. major failure of YouTube is I have no clue who, who has watched it. So there are these other video pl platforms, one called Vidyard, another one called Wistia, and yep. the company that we're partnered with is called Brightcove. And what they do is they allow you to actually measure who's watching what content when, and it can be interactive. So if you want to compel someone to download something or to watch another video, you can actually create a call to action that's clickable within the video content itself. And if you have a marketing automation platform, right. all that information can be transferred. And what's really, really powerful about that is in email marketing, all we can know is they open the email and they click the links. But right. with email marketing connected to video using one of these tools, I can know the depth of the interest. So Bob, if I sent out an email and I know that you watched two minutes of a three minute video and for the last five emails I sent out, you watched all the videos for at least two minutes, I know that you are you have a high depth of interest in my content. And yep. that means you're an extraordinarily warm lead. And what does that mean to your sales staff? It's everything. So that's what's extraordinarily powerful. So does it matter, does the length of the video or does the type of product or the nature of the business affect um, viewership of a, of a video? In the, in, what, I'm, what I mean is in the old days, you used to say that um, a product that's reasonably cheap, keep your copy to an absolute minimum. But if you're trying to sell a Mercedes, for example, people want long copy. That used to be the case. Is that a similar sort of thing now that if you've got a, a complex product, um, then people want more detail and they want all that? Or is it still um, getting to them emotionally? So that, that's a perfect example for using one of these video platforms, like I mentioned before, is it allows you both levels of it. So what you could do, say you were to create a 10 minute video and the first minute of it is just, here's what the product is, here's what it does, boom. Right. And if you wanna know, if you wanna know the specifics of every single feature on this product, click here to watch nine more minutes of it. Well, that would be extraordinarily powerful to know the people who just watched the minute and the people who chose to watch the further minute these video platforms will let you do that. Now, the negative of this is by not being on YouTube, you're not being discovered through that search engine, that platform. But the advantage of you've got this ludicrously great measurement. So what you can do is you can throw some advertising dollars on this. You can send it through your own email marketing platform or through others for that matter, maybe by, you know, placement on that. So, you know, it all depends on what tools you're going to use and how you want to measure it and how you want to follow up. Because, you know, nobody out there is just creating video because they want to create video. They want to create video to sell their product. Sure. And so these are very powerful ways to get information about your audience through video that you can't through any other platform. So 
what are some simple fixes that any company can do right now for their with their video? So the nut two huge fixes, and I'm talking these are we're talking minutes, right? This can this can be fixes. One is go to your YouTube channel and look at it and say to yourself, does this show our company positively? If I were to just look at this one page, does this communicate who we are? Right. I will say for probably everybody who's listening, chances are it doesn't, unless they are themselves a big YouTube creator uh, for them. Versus in YouTube, you have this spectacular banner at the top that is enormous that everybody sees. You'll be stunned the number of companies that just blow off the messaging that could be done in the banner. Redesign that banner to be specific about what this channel is and who you are. Then look at the, look at the, and these are already the videos you've already published. Yes, sure. uh, Now look at all the videos you have. Do you feel that they are titled enticing enough and specific enough to what the content is? Don't make things too general. That doesn't help. Uh, You know, retitle them. This can be done after the videos are made. Uh, Third is, and this shockingly almost no company does, and it blows my mind. These are companies that have millions and millions of dollars. They don't do this. Is create custom thumbnails for your videos. Right. The title and the thumbnail is what sells people on actually clicking and watching the video. If there is no compelling title and thumbnail, or it's non-compelling, you're not going to get people to watch it. So take the time to recreate, to create custom thumbnails for all your videos. So when I come to your site, I see a banner that immediately explains what you're doing. I see titles of videos that are very enticing. And then the visual of the whole page with the custom thumbnails is pleasing and I'm compelled to start looking at the videos. Right. That is not costly, and that can be done after video has been produced. Right. David, we've run out of time, unfortunately. So thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You can reach Thank you da- very much. It's a pleasure. You can reach David at sparkmediasolutions.com. That's Spark, S-P-A-R-K, Media Solutions. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. No bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. As I mentioned earlier, I think the opportunities for small business and entrepreneurs is going to be fantastic in 2018 followed by a correction in 2019. So you need to listen to the advice you get on this program and others like it. And uh, it's amazing what difference it can make to your business. At the 2017 CES show, which, as you know, is the biggest technology conference of the year held in Las Vegas each year, and it's where everybody releases all their new products. This year it was all about Last year, 2017, it was all about Alexa, Amazon's virtual assistant. It was everywhere. It didn't matter whether it was um, household appliances or cars or whatever it was. Alexa was absolutely everywhere. In 2018, Google did absolutely everything possible to hijack the news cycles and to dominate CES 2018, and they did it really well. Uh, Google usually doesn't exhibit products at CES. It was formerly called the um, Consumer Electronics Show. But this week's making it made a slew of new announcements about its own virtual helper, the Google, Google Assistant. I've got a Hey Google, I love it. <laughs> Just Google Home. Google Home. Hey Google, play some 
ACDC. Bingo, off it goes. Hey, Google, how old's whoever it is? And you've got the answer. It's, it's really fantastic. Um, and Google revealed that the assistant's coming to a variety of new devices, including new voice-activated speakers, Android-powered TVs, headphones, and cars that support Android Auto. The new Google Assistant compatible speakers, <coughs> excuse me, will be made by companies such as Bang & Olufsen, Altec, Lansing, Anchor Innovations, JBL, and iHome, among others. TV makers such as Hisense, Xiaomi, and Skyworth will be bringing Google voice-activated helper to their Android TVs. Can't wait for that. And new headphones from JBL, Sony, LG, and Jaybird will also have the capability to summon Google's digital helper. But Google's also making a more direct shot at Amazon with the announcement of smart displays. It's a new type of device that will run on the Google Assistant. Now, smart displays are a bit like Google's home smart speaker in that they're voice-centric computers, but smart displays include interactive touch screens, similar to Amazon's Echo Show, which you're probably familiar with. And unlike the Google Home, which primarily relies on voice commands, also, unlike the Home, smart displays are made by Google's hardware partners rather than making them in-house. And Lenovo, JBL, LG and Sony, they're all involved in this. Smart displays are Google's answer to Amazon's Echo Show, which also includes a tablet-like touchscreen. And the smart display runs on Android Things, Google platform for Internet of Things devices, rather than the standard version of Android. The Lenovo smart display can be used for just about any task that you might also do with the Google Home. You know, playing music, controlling smart home devices, pulling up recipes or restaurant recommendations. But since the smart display has a screen, the device will show users helpful information when answering their questions. When asking the smart display where to go for dinner, for example, it will show nearby recommendations from Google Maps. And Google smart display can play YouTube videos. And that gives it a bit of an edge over the Echo Show, considering Google pulled support for the YouTube app on Amazon touchscreen device last year. So that puts them at a disadvantage. Lenovo and Google's new device also has an advantage over Amazon when it comes to aesthetics, being sleeker, more polished design, and it blends more easily into the home. It's really very attractive. The smart display also integrates with smart home devices, which is getting to be just about everything, including those made by Nest, which is owned by Google's parent company, meaning parents can use the smart display to view a live feed from a Nest security camera. And most large technology companies like Apple and Microsoft and Facebook and Amazon reserve their product announcements for their own keynotes and events. But this year, Google was determined to make CES attendees and the world forget about Alexa. Okay, that's the end of the show for another week. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. Do you just want to be ordinary or do you want to be remembered for something? You know, it's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And too many people do not have enough ambition. If you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. I was with some extraordinary people last night, and amazing is the word, and the conversation was fantastic. And, you know, it gives you new life, makes you feel excited to be alive. Now, I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where entertainment meets technology. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful. Get out there and buy some crypto wallets 
reasonably priced because it's going to go through the roof, but continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.